Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 140 of the ETPHD team podcast with myself and Anna. Hi Anna, how are you? Hello, I am well, thank you. How are you? I am also well, thank you. I might sound a little bit different because I'm in the kitchen because it's the one room in the house that doesn't feel like an absolute furnace. So it's great. Not that I'm complaining. I am 100% not complaining about the weather. Like I love it. But old houses, you'll know this, like old houses are not really built for the heat. They, make, they retain it all, which is fab, but they have no space to get air out. And I've just been sat with my door open, but I have diligently closed it for the podcast. I know, same. I had the windows, the doors open. And then I was like, just before we came on, I was like, I'm going to have to shut them now. <laughs> fine, it's fine. Just what we've got to do. No, we are, we are selfless beings. We, you know, I hear that a lot. And it's just who we are. Um, any news, anything wild? I mean, not wild, but I had to be big and brave and go to the mechanic today. <gasps> How was that? I genuinely was getting really sweaty and nervous before I went. It's horrible. Why is it so horrible? And I don't know why, because I, 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 well, I rang them first and I was like, I'm just wondering if you can help me. <laughs> I don't know. What do you need help with? <laughs> um, basically, full honesty, I might have hit a barrier. No, not a barrier a big post in the car park and managed to take my wing mirror off and do a nice little scrape no and it's like yeah you know, well I th- I'm sure the same thing happened with an old car and it's like as soon as you start thinking you're going to change cars you're like I'm gonna have to spend a bit of money on me first oh, why do they do that mine is doing the same thing also always lie always say someone bang into you don't take no, no. he went oh did someone bang into you I went yeah that that someone was me (laughs) damn it I could have got away with it because you know when you're like oh could I get away yeah on the spot lion just like on the spot lion (laughs) takes training like you have to train yourself to be good at on the spot lion and I don't think I just don't think you've got it in you mate (laughs) (laughs) I also went to the mechanic this week and I got there and I thought I know what it is I tried to get a new tire and the guy said your tire's not flush with your wheel so it keeps going flat so I went to the mechanic and I was like, yeah, so the tire's not flush with the wheel and it keeps going flat. And he was like, okay, has it had a bath? And I was like, <laughs> Sorry? He said, is, is it had a bath? And I was like, I don't know what that means. So the tire needs to have a bath. And I was like, but it's not the tire, it's wheel. Anyway, long story short, they kept my car in overnight. The next day they said, you need to order a new alloy and order a new tire and then we'll put it on for you. And I was like, look, the ad- he said, I said, where do I get an alloy for? He said, a scrap yard. And I was like, look, I, I don't go to a scrapyard. I don't know really what, I don't even know where that would be. I don't know how you purchase anything from a scrapyard. Like that's not something I'm going to do, is it? So now my car still has a flat tire and I'm like, you, yeah, I'm due to get a new car. So I just keep putting it off. And now it's at the point where I'm like, I can't keep pumping up my tire every three days. That's this is not, <laughs> as a 35 year old woman, this is not a responsible thing to do. So I also am the same shape because <laughs> cars just, Cars to me are like just something I don't want to be involved in. And they fill me with fear and I just think I, I don't want that as part of my life. Just give me a safe car and let me be on my way. And I, know, yeah. I don't want to have to actually talk to anyone about it or make any decisions. Like, no. no, no tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. That's fine. But. <laughs> exactly that. Um, and other news, did you see, I'm just going to get it on my um, phone because have you seen the change in the abortion legislation in the UK? I have not, no. I'm actually going to read from the news article that I wrote. This is from the 19th of July. The reason that it's kind of coming more to light now is something else happened in government, obviously because of the Tories and trying to look for a new leader. And one of them was involved in discussion around this, which is I think one of the reasons it's coming out now. But basically, I'm going to read directly. 
A UK government organised multinational statement committing the, to the fundamental rights of women and girls has been amended to remove references to sexual and reproductive health and rights and bodily autonomy. The statement was issued by the UK as part of an intergovernmental conference hosted in London on July 5th and 6th. A total of 22 countries signed the joint statement before it was amended. One, the anti-abortion Malta, has first signed since. Humanists UK expressed serious alarm at the changes. It is asking the government for full explanation and, if possible, a reversal. Um, basically... Uh, the original statement was issued as part of the 2022 International Ministerial Conference on FORB. It gave a commitment to abolishing discriminatory laws that restrict women's and girls' full and equal enjoyment of all human rights, including sexual and reproductive health and rights and bodily autonomy. It also said it would support and build capacities of local religious and belief leaders to ensure access to sexual and reproductive health and rights. However, it has now been revised, removing all references to sexual and reproductive rights and bodily autonomy. Alongside this, the 22 countries that had originally signed has now reduced to six. 17 have departed. The only country added in is the one, is Malta, where there's an absolute ban on abortion, which is concerning. If you don't quite know what that means, it it, they've, they've, they're trying to word it like they want to be inclusive. That's the reason that they're saying that they've changed the wording of it. But what they've done is remove reference, basically, to reproductive rights for women. Um, and what's concerning is that Malta is the one that agrees with it. Like, that's not a coincidence. Um, if you think abortion is, is safe in the UK and you think this is a, a other country's problem, it's really not. Like, this is something that is probably scarily looks like it's going to change and um, I know we've all been quite quiet about it but I think that it's important to keep the conversation going and keep the awareness of this going because it's absolutely terrifying. Mm. I know when you were reading you obviously couldn't see but my eyebrows were just getting higher and higher. Come. Free ball clock. Um, yeah, it is. It's, it's shocking and also not shocking. Well, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, it, people think that abortion is like legal but it's it's legal only if in the specific situation like getting two doctors to sign off etc it has to be done in a specific way otherwise it's not it's not technically legal and there are two people currently being prosecuted in the UK regarding abortion that it's not an, uh, an other thing this is an us thing as well um and it's terrifying but awareness is key and I don't have a huge amount other to say on that other than keep reading and keep being aware of things and keep sharing these articles that you see and that you read so that other people can be aware and not nobody's asking for money although if you can donate to charities great I've always got links on my Instagram but yeah care about anyway we're going to move on to the questions now total change of topic do you want to go first uh yeah oh straight in do you have any recommendations on books and or podcasts about learning about the patriarchy? Oh, well, great timing. <laughs> okay, um, baseline level. Now, there is some controversy around this actual book, but that's the for a different day. Um, baseline level, women don't owe you pretty. That's really layman's terms. Everyone can understand it type of book. So that would be potentially quite useful. Everyone should be a feminist. I can't remember the author. It's another one that's quite helpful. Um, what ones have you read? I'm trying to think what books I've read. I've about. only read um, Women Don't Know You Pretty. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones that I've read. I'm not next to my bookshelf today around feminism. A lot of the books that bring up feminist issues are more to do with things like sex. So like Mind the Gap or what's the one George always talks about and I refuse to read because I know it'll make me angry the i'm just going to google it right now actually um what's it called the invisible women exposing data bias in a world designed for men um that's an excellent book too i just haven't read it because i to be honest i just think it make me really really angry um i think that i think those are the, the main ones um that I know of anyway that are all excellent um okay 
next question. I'd love to hear ETPHD gang's own personal stories about HA recovery and or body image recovery. If anyone is ready to talk so openly, I appreciate it's a super personal thing, but think it would be great inspiration and nice to connect and resonate with how hard it can be when I presume, like me, a lot of your clients won't know anyone else who's been through the same. It's great to talk to friends, but I often feel like they 100% don't, or they don't 100% get it. So you guess getting our stories today. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> hmm. I think I'm trying to vaguely remember what I said on the HA podcast, but I think at the time it sounds awful. I know I'm saying this now, but I wasn't fussed about getting my period back because I, I lost it when I was well each time I prepped and. I wanted to stay lean because I thought that that was what I liked at the time. Um, but never once considered that actually having my cycles back would help with the uh, muscle growth. Obviously, the two <laughs> the, the two things didn't link up, and uh, yeah, might have got bigger glutes as a result if I'd have worked a bit harder, a bit quicker. I know. I always wonder, like, what. Uh, what, uh, what would that have changed anything when we were leaner and competing like, would we have thought oh we really need to get that back because it's going to help us build muscle probably mm-hmm. because when you're in the depths of competing you think about the minute the minutia of stuff don't you you think about oh what if I have this meal at this time then then yeah. <laughs> I can't have that meal at that time or like really small things it's really disordered obviously and you really overanalyze the really small things so you probably would you probably would care about it more mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. And that, I think, would have been the focus I needed at that time. I wouldn't have been thinking about children or bone health or any other sort of health. It was just muscles and being lean. That was it. For sure. Which is why, like, I did a reel on this the other day and about, like, why you need to recover your period for your body composition and how actually focus on your body composition is one of the worst things you can do. But actually... I know that body composition is at the forefront of your mind. And so you need to know why having your period is important for your body composition. Um, so if you haven't seen that reel, then you can see it. it's also on the EIQ page. Um, yeah, to, to be quite honest, I was probably the same. I, even though I had a PhD at the time and a master's, I didn't know the impact of not having a period. It's not probably that I didn't know, like a lot of people, I probably chose not to seek out the information that told me otherwise. When we, when we had HA, the conversation just wasn't there on social media. It wasn't a prominent thing on Instagram or anywhere else to talk about what happens when you lose your period. So it wasn't as easily accessible. But I, I mean, I obviously 100% could have seen it. I just or looked for it and looked in the research, but I just chose not to. Um, I think in terms of like the body image stuff, Sometimes, and I've said this before, sometimes I feel a little bit like a fraud with my body image because I think how much of it is the work that I've done and how much of it is getting older. And I think some of it does come with age and like not all of it, you still have to be intentional with it. But I do think as you get older and you start to appreciate people for who they are and and you start to really understand who you are as a person and how different that is to your body, your, your body image or your body focus starts to naturally decline anyway when you have a purpose outside of your body. But that doesn't happen for everyone as they get older. And especially maybe if you've had kids, your purpose is shifted onto your kids. And then actually, as you get older, as they grow up, your purpose maybe moves slightly away from your kids. And actually, that can negatively impact your body image. So it, obviously, it depends on your life circumstance. But I think for me... I would say only really in the last five years, maybe not even that long, to be honest, maybe three years, have I genuinely treated my body like someone that I love? No, that's a lie. 2018, so four years. Have I genuinely started to treat my body like someone I love? And the only guilt that I feel genuinely around my body now is when I feel like I've treated her like trash. And that might be, it's less about what I've eaten specifically, but it might be like if I'm overworking, I do I say things like I'm sorry to my body now and I do say thanks to my body Louisa my best friend when we did yoga in course we were talking about this because she was like we did a yoga class and it was a lot of breathing and sitting still and she gets really like 
antsy like she hates she's very like let's go on to the next thing and I was like yeah I just I know I, I loved it because I said I just sat and said thanks to my body and I thought about all the things I've done she's like oh you're really good at that and I was like it, it's intentional but it always has to still be intentional for us right I think that's the thing people maybe hear our stories and think well yeah you've come through something and it's like yeah but we still actively have to do it it's now a habit for me to say thanks to my body it's a habit for me I'm trying to build this habit for yoga are you still doing your everyday yoga in August yeah yeah go on yeah and I really didn't want to this morning I was like I like I slept in a bit later and I was like "Mm," but you can still do five minutes just do five minutes and that's what gosh gosh we are just (laughs) aren't we we're great we're great Um, my mum myself yeah me too my mum even got me like this little travel yoga mat that I can put in my suitcase to bring to Lisbon and stuff and it's it's so aesthetic as well um yeah so nice um so yeah I think the thing is it's it's really hard when people around you have not been through the same journey of course it is if you haven't listened to the hypothalamic amenorrhea podcast that that you and I did in this person then do listen to that because we do talk a little bit more about our specific journeys in terms of recovering from that for me I don't think I lost my period I lost my period the first time when I was really slim when I was at uni and it wasn't bodybuilding related it was because I was under I had low energy ability and I was under eating and over exercising and that time I probably lost my period for a year and at that time I didn't really know anything about it. I didn't intentionally get my period back it just came back as I reduced the stress in my life and stopped using food to try and make myself pass my exams because you know in my head that was the logical explanation that I had in my head um but the other times with bodybuilding it came back relatively quickly because with bodybuilding generally because of the disordered eating habits you have post-show often you will gain weight relatively quickly and so your period comes back often quite quickly and you drastically reduce your expenditure relatively quickly too so if if you can learn anything from that it's like I know that it's really hard but sometimes doing things in a stepwise way of slowly increasing your calories and slowly doing things sometimes with HA you're better off just ripping the plaster off and the quicker you can do it generally the better um that's definitely a lesson that I would take from from my journey at least yeah most definitely Um, okay go for it how to know that your training is enough or even how to make sure that you're getting enough from it should I slash can I add more exercises on days I feel where I on days I sorry on days where I feel like I could just keep going even though I push myself on all exercises in the plan or would it have a negative impact yeah so let's let's visit the law of diminishing returns this is a really useful way to think about exercise what happens is you get a benefit think of it like a bell-shaped curve and you get a benefit the more exercise or the I mean the, the more structured exercise there will be more and more up to a certain point that you do and then after that point it becomes you either like the benefit becomes very small for the amount of effort that you have to put in but then once you get past that point, actually you start to see detriments to your performance by adding in more. And that's what you see a lot. Like I definitely see this a lot with clients who come to me who have maybe been over-exercising or are used to really hammering their body and training. And so often we think that like the feeling of enough training is being exhausted. Generally speaking, I'd say I probably don't feel, I probably feel exhausted after training like once a week max. And it's usually because it's the end of the week and I'm actually just tired. Um, it's not so much the actual training and maybe I'm not the proper benchmark because I'm not pushing to build muscle but I am still building muscle like or rebuilding muscle should I say so um, you're not looking to feel exhausted you you probably will just feel like if you've trained legs your legs will probably feel they might feel, they might feel a bit shaky but often not like you at the end of think of it as every set like at the end of like the end of one exercise say rather than a set at the end of one exercise you think oh I really wouldn't want to do another set of leg press and you've probably done the right amount if you've got the mentality of previously being someone that exercises quite a lot this is obviously different for someone who has never exercised before and doesn't actually enjoy exercising that much you probably don't want to go and do another exercise 
in the gym but it's not because you're tired it's because actually you don't really enjoy it so it's really important to think about like obviously where you're coming from in this sense um but you get progress from working at reps and reserve of like two three consistently as long as you're progressing over time and or an rp of like seven eight you're still going to get progress you what will happen is if you're working at an rp of like nine or ten or zero or one reps in reserve all the time is that you will get fatigued and your progress will slow down so you'll know over time if you're doing the right amount because you'll see progress in the gym and i don't mean in your body because especially with body image issues you won't often see that but if your training volume your load is going up your reps are going up your form is improving your time under tension is improving any of these things are improving then you're doing the right amount and if you're sleep if you sleep as well like you're recovering well again signs that you're doing well um and that you are your training is sufficient that's not to say that you might not add another training day in at some point maybe or change the volume slightly but I think we I think as a whole and actually I've written a post about this but I've not necessarily made it that eloquent yet as a whole we need to take a step back often and think like what does like training doesn't have to be this all-encompassing time encompassing thing and it's not there to exhaust us no no I mean from personally I've seen better results from reducing the amount of time I'm in the gym because I know that actually if I know that I'm only going to be there for say 45 minutes max then I give my all in each of the exercises whereas if I've got an hour an hour plus I'm like I'll just take take my time mill about a bit take things easy but it doesn't need to be super long sessions to get the same results and I think as well if you're coming from the mindset that exercise is a way of burning calories then that's something to step away from as well in that what you're exercising for is for health and for body composition and and again it doesn't need to be these massive great big sessions to see great results Mm. yeah when I first started competing or training to compete I'd been training myself for a while and I was doing stupid things like I would go in and do fasted hit in the morning and then go and do a leg session at night like whatever repeatedly and I got a coach for the first prep that I did and he gave me a training program and I'd been training like six days a week whatever he gave me a training program and it was like three days and no hit no cardio and that through such a tantrum and I was like this is not enough I, I've been training like this this is not enough and then he was like, well, this is what, this is how we program and this is what we're going to do. And I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, I learned how to lift properly and, and after that. And I, I realized actually it was enough if I just lifted properly with good form and heavy, actually I was getting sufficient stimulus. But every single time almost he gave me a training program, almost every time I threw a drama, almost every time. And I get, I would get really like irate about it because I think it was a lack of feeling like I knew what I was doing a lack of control and I always felt like especially post-show when you'd switch it up a little bit I would always feel like that's not enough because I'm not exhausted it feels too easy and he used to say to me if that feels too easy it's because you're not lifting properly because that we as coaches know the evidence-based recommendations for volume right I know how many sets per week you should have for your glutes for your legs for your delts I know that and so when I program I'm like okay we're going to progress between this many sets per week up to this many sets per week across six weeks 12 weeks whatever it is so if you're telling me you if I've programmed you to be on the upper end of that and you come back to me and say that's not enough then then this is a mindset thing or a training intensity thing or a recovery thing it's not a training volume thing because we know from the evidence roughly what training should look like in terms of sets and reps to get um, improvements. And we don't talk about that much as a team uh, as a whole. We don't share a lot of evidence-based training stuff because we're so enveloped in the nutrition and, and health side of things. But it's certainly something we've been speaking about as a team to try and communicate this a lot more because we do work to some recommendations and like training structures. Okay, Becca's question. Um, would the level up event in Edinburgh be any useful to 
any bit useful to go to if you're not a coach or PT? I would love to go, but I'm not sure I can justify the cost since it wouldn't improve my business, etc. I'll take this one. Um, um, so it is directed at coaches and PTs. The a lot of the content is going to be like how you program for clients, but you can also think of it as yourself. So, for example, Greg from Lift the Bar is talking about how you program for busy clients. If you're a busy person, then you can program for yourself. But obviously, you're working with Becca, so she'll probably be programming for you. Um, Nicola's talk on how to overcome self sabotage will be fantastic for everyone. Um, Emma and my talk will be on Saturday night, and that is about business. But you can with level up, you can come to just like the evening social on Saturday and then you can come on the Sunday for the for the other talks uh, what I would do is look at the, t- the talk titles and say like oh, would I benefit from that Alan's is going to be talking about health and he will be going into some of the science and so some of it will be quite science heavy in terms of what matters beyond calories and I think you'll probably be talking about things like cardiovascular disease and things like that so if it's of interest to you then I absolutely think yes but it will be pitched at people who are coaches that being said a lot of coaches don't necessarily have nutrition knowledge particularly so it's not like if you have a bit of knowledge around this or an interest in it don't think that just because you're not a PT you wouldn't understand it but that would be the the pitch it would be if you're not sure whoever asked this question feel free to message me if you're like if you're debating it um <clears throat> i'm trying to model behavior with my own clients rather than just using words for example wearing shorts to the gym etc because i know that's i know that that's something they struggle with but it's bringing up all my own insecurities and pushing me well outside my comfort zone quicker than I would work on it myself personally. Not sure if I'm doing good for myself or harm. Great question. Fantastic question. And what I would say is there's tons of evidence that clients learn from you doing more than you're saying. So the fact that you are considering this and you're thinking, well, how am I acting? is so amazing and just says how much of a good coach you are so again hats off to you great job um and it's something we all try and do right i would never i wouldn't say i would never because i'm i'm trying to think what i wouldn't do anymore i actually don't know i don't know but yeah i think it's really important i just sounds like actually i just do everything <laughs> it, but it's one of the reasons we share things like yoga gym training drinking wine eating a pizza eating the salad like we try and encompass it all and it's so it is important um how are you judging this i would say in the sense of moving out of your comfort zone is going to be challenging right it's it's tricky to get out of your comfort zone anyway how do you how do you gauge what's well, out of my comfort zone but now it's too far out of my comfort zone like what how can you justify that in the sense of I would think that moving out of your comfort zone in general always feels uncomfortable, but that's obviously where we see growth. What negative impact is it having on you? And is it all encompassing to the fact that actually it's just not the right thing for you now? Because there are lots of ways you can quote unquote practice what you preach that don't require you to wear shorts or whatever it is at this point. So it's certainly not an essential thing, but I would lean in slightly to that discomfort of, just because it feels uncomfortable doesn't mean it's wrong. But if it's having a negative impact on the way that you think about yourself consistently, then maybe hold off just a, li- a little bit longer. But only you can really tell that in terms of your internal narrative and how that's, like, I suppose, how that's playing out for you. Yeah, yeah, no, completely agree. I think I was trying to think about it. I think for me, the biggest thing was wearing a sports bra in the gym right and I used to think back I don't know if you were the same like the amount of times you'd be so uncomfortably hot even in just like a vest top I'd be like no but then I think like you say just got to do it at some point yeah yeah and and I think like people I don't know coaches do this all the time and they get it wrong all the time like coaches who say oh I, I, I someone sent me a reel yesterday and it was a girl who was in her underwear and she said she showed a picture of herself like a transformation reel 
of her fat loss, like visible fat loss, and then said, I did this without restricting any foods. This is how I did it. Join up to my program. I guarantee you she'll have had hundreds of inquiries from that because it was for all the reasons for the algorithm, etc. It worked. But that is what some coaches will think is practicing what they preach. And it's like, no, if you're talking about not restricting food groups, you're talking about gentle nutrition, you're talking about a healthful relationship with food, which is not associating your food with your body. So you're doing the opposite. So the awareness is so crucial. But really, when you're doing this work, you do have to put yourself first. And you supporting your own health right now will support your business. And if that doesn't necessarily look like practicing what you preach in that specific sense right now, that doesn't mean that, that you won't be in the future. And also, I'm sure that you preach putting yourself first sometimes. I'm sure that you preach supporting your own health, right? So that might not look the same for every person. And if putting yourself first and health means that you hold off on certain things to show your clients, then that is what that is practicing what you preach. The nice question. I've just been diagnosed with hyperthyroidism, which means exercise is pretty much a no-go as my resting heart rate is 120 and I'm constantly exhausted. What is the minimum amount of movement you need to do to make sure your joint and muscles stay flexible and healthy? And how would you go about getting back to training? Hmm. I think if it's if it's not or in the process of being managed and medicated then at the moment for you gentle walks and yoga would be ample mm, I agree the thing with hyper or hypothyroid is that once it's medicated it should be fine and everything should be relatively quote-unquote normal the problem is is that like you were kind of alluded to there it can take a little while for your medication to kick in and be consistent and to be the right dosage for you usually you have to keep checking with your doctor that your blood levels are the way like where that where you want them to be um and so i would in, in the interim like you said walking and yoga is is great yoga will help in terms of your stress levels as well which will help bring your heart rate down as much as as much as you can um in terms of the minimum amount of movement you need to do to make sure your joint and muscles stay flexible and healthy Right, so realistically, for an, a quote-unquote average person without health ailments, the recommendation is to accumulate at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week for general health, um, including two to three resistance training sessions within that. That's the ACSM guidelines. That's the general guidelines that we use worldwide for exercise and health. But for you right now that is not necessarily the healthiest thing for you right now the healthiest thing is making sure that you are managing your heart rate and your hyperthyroidism so that longer term your health is improved so it's the same as i did a reel today about this about ha and step counts because people always say look how many steps should i be doing how many steps are okay with ha recovery and just because some influencer has said, which is not right, you should do 10,000 steps a day. And that's the healthiest for people. That's not the healthiest for you because the best thing you can do is to manage your stress, gain some weight and reduce your energy expenditure. The healthiest thing for someone to improve their joints or maintain their joints and muscles optimally is not going to be the same thing for you in terms of the healthiest thing. So try and take a step back from thinking I need to do this for my health because the most important thing that you can do for your health is to value this specific situation that you've got going on and prioritize that does the why behind a behavior really matter I've identified why I have certain behaviors around food and have worked hard at finding ways to help but I would be interested to know your opinions on whether it really makes a difference to know why you do something if you know how to move forward. Myself and my partner were discussing this and I think it does make a difference to know why, but he doesn't. Interested to hear your thoughts. Oh, another great question. I think it matters. 
the reason I think it matters is because when we think about the reason that we're doing something, we are more likely to to consistently do something that is helpful to us if we know how that aligns with our values. So if we take a step back, we think about our values as a compass. It's the easiest way to describe them. And say you value family. This is usually the one I come back to. Say you value family. Your why for fat loss and improving your health might be that you want to have children, you want to be around for your grandkids, you want to run up and down the playground with your kids, whatever it is. That is your that's your why, because that aligns with your values. So when you are then going to exercise and you're going to the gym three to four times a week, until it becomes a habit that you do without even thinking, which may or may not happen, you need to think about, or you, you want to have that subconscious programming of, I'm doing this so that I can run around the playground with my kids. I'm doing this so that I can have, I can improve my chance of having a child. I'm doing this because I want to be around for my grandkids. Whatever it is, that's your why. Because motivation is, whatever we're looking at here, motivation is, is not a consistent thing. There are days like you this morning, you weren't motivated to do yoga, but you remember your why. And so we have a bit of an extrinsic goal right here. We had a discussion and we were like, we're going to do yoga every day. So that's a bit of an extrinsic reward, but that is going to run out at the end of August. The novelty of an extrinsic reward will run out. And at that point, you need to have an intrinsic driver to consistently continue on with your goals. And if you don't know what that is, then at some point you're going to be like, bugger it, I'm just not going to bother doing it because you don't have the motivation and you don't know why you're doing it in the first place. So why would you, why would you do it? So I think it's really important. So I'm with you, whoever asked that question. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I'm thinking about it <clears throat> different angle, more so in the sense of you might have all the tools you need to help with your emotional eating but it's also good to know why you're doing it. You might just go, oh, well, I know that I eat food when I'm feeling emotional, but yeah, but what are you feeling? Because ultimately, unless you know, then it's still going to show up and you're not going to have be able to work through it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Ex exactly that. How can you, like if it's an example of emotional eating, like how can you work through a need if you don't know what that need is? Or why do you stress eat? Because I'm stressed. Okay, well, why are you stressed? because I don't have any boundaries. Why don't you have any boundaries? Because I'm a people pleaser. Why are you a people pleaser? Well, and then you go into the deeper issues and they're all wise, right? Okay, Steph's question. My friend knew I got a promotion. I am now a solicitor after many years of studying and exams. She knew that work was going to change a lot for me. She felt a shift in our friendship. I thought I was having a mental health spiral and suggested I make an emergency appointment with my therapist. I felt like I was balancing things really well and felt really good. Instead of standing up for myself and saying I didn't have the space to chat while learning all the new things being thrown at me, I just apologised and said that I was sorry for neglecting our friendship. Clearly this is people-pleasing and I am mad that I said it, but now I'm not sure how to address it. Hi, friend. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's good that you've been able to see it <laughs> reflecting <laughs> for what it is um it, it is going to be hard on friendships I think and clearly your friendship means an awful lot to your friend but I think it is going to be one of those times where you are going to have to have a potentially uncomfortable conversation because like you said you worked really hard for this job and it's a really exciting time for you and that means that things will change and that's fine it still means you can be as good of friends it just might mean the amount of time that you see each other or responses to texts aren't as quick because you've got other stuff going on and if she truly values your friendship then surely she'll understand mm. and I'd also say it doesn't have to necessarily be uncomfortable you can be like I honestly love that you picked up on that shift. I love that you noticed that I was chatting less. You are such a good friend. Not a lot of people would recognize that. 
the reason I was like that is just because my job changed and I, I literally just don't have that much time anymore. So um, I promise that I'll reach out if anything is going wrong. Um, and that's great. Like it doesn't have to be too uncomfortable, but but of course, moving forward, you will have to have that discussion that you're saying, Anna, of like, this is the time that I actually literally have available. I would say there's no point in being mad. Like you're mad because you feel resentful because you didn't show up in the way that you wanted to show up. That's what, that's probably what it is. And I get like that sometimes if I snap at someone, which doesn't happen that often, but if I do, I'm like, oh, that's not who I am. That's not what I want to behave like. But we all do it. That's totally normal. You're a human being. So don't get mad at yourself. Just be like, okay, well, what would I do differently next time? Or can I resolve it? And how can I resolve it? And what would I do differently next time? It might be that next time if someone said something like this to you and you felt that people pleasing urge, you would say, I'll reply tomorrow when you've had time to think about it. Or you would have a conversation in person rather than having it on text or vice versa. Whatever, like learn from it and learn how to think, how do I want to show up next time and do something differently next time? If you keep getting to the same situation over and over again, then get frustrated because you're not changing from it. But don't get frustrated about the fact that you just acted like a human being and that totally happens. Just me, isn't it? <laughs> There's only two of us and I can't keep up. <clears throat> so this client is on holiday and has asked any tips on how to cope with tiredness, overwhelm and not letting it affect your mood towards people. Being in a villa with seven other people I have found is a massive adjustment and can get a bit overwhelming, but it's not always possible to get away to meditate, do yoga or body scan, which I'd normally do to give myself space. This person in Love Island? No, no. Big family holiday. Um, okay, I mean, it totally happens. It happens to us all, right? When you get, it's really easy to be consistent with things when you're in your own space and no one else is getting in your life and you're working in the normal hours and everything is going quote, quote, well. Super easy to do all those things then. Think, I like to think of those times as training for these times. Like you've done, you're doing the work day to day so that at these times you're mindful that you're not necessarily being super mindful or you're mindful that you're not being necessarily showing up 100% of how you want to be um it is always possible to go to the bathroom for five minutes and take some breaths almost always unless you are maybe a parent with a baby or something when you can't even leave the baby alone for 30 seconds in general in these types of situations you can probably go to the bathroom or to your room and be like, I just, need, I just want five minutes. But often we don't want to say that because we don't want to justify why we need five minutes. But you don't have to justify it. It's your justification of, I just need five minutes on my own. That is justification enough. You don't have to say, because I need to breathe, because I need to meditate, because this feels overwhelming. You'd be like, you're five minutes out. And as adults, we're allowed to say that without explaining to ourselves. You can absolutely explain it if you want to, but don't feel that you have to. And so I think sometimes, sometimes we talk about non-negotiables, right? Of what's the minimum amount that you need to do in order to show up as your best self. And your non-negotiable when you're away might be, I need to take five minutes in the day to do that breathing, or I need to put my earphones in when we go to bed at night and just do my meditation to go to sleep too. I think figuring that out, this is a great opportunity whilst you're on holiday to get curious about it and think, well, what realistically what can what do I have time for what can I fit in and what do I want to and letting go of any frustration you feel that you don't have time to do the other stuff because this is life and you're not always going to have obviously the time or the opportunity to do the other stuff and if people talk just take deep breaths like sometimes if it's like a big dinner or something be like okay how do I want to show up for this dinner okay remember that and then go in that takes five seconds to do but really it's about slowing down through the day and just checking in with yourself like it doesn't have to be a big thing to check in with yourself now and again throughout the day yeah I think and I'm not saying this is this client by any means but I think it's really easy to get caught up in you have your routine at home your perfect routine that makes you feel your best and then like you said that you go away and it gets completely flipped on your head and then you can end up worrying because things aren't able to go the way that you usually choose to 
but again it's your chance to flex those skills a little bit more and and find that middle ground that you can still do things to help your headspace but aren't going to detract from enjoying your holiday as well mm. I agree Next question <clears throat> speaking of Love Island I started watching Love Island and I noticed myself comparing and starting to judge when the girls came out we done this question yeah I think I probably do this every single week don't I <laughs> um okay assess question no it's just George's question um there is a mention in the hunger fullness for okay so this is a specific resource that we give to our clients there's a mention of this resource um to uh go to saying for when you don't want to offend people by not finishing their food do you have any suggestions for this i feel like i need something like that the people pleasers isn't it again (laughs) yeah so much of that today like I, I get it and we want to justify why we don't want to finish their their food because I think I've definitely got caught up in thinking that they'll take it badly they'll think that I don't enjoy the food but actually just saying do you know what I'm really like comfortably full now and if I eat more then I won't enjoy it and that's that's a bit of a waste yeah love that I think it's as simple as saying saying that was so delicious but I'm absolutely stuffed even if you're not stuffed because people understand that um it doesn't you don't have to over explain I am stuffed or I have had enough is it's like no is a complete sentence but it is a full statement you don't have this kind of thought is because you feel like you have to justify why like why you've had enough almost right so I don't think it's not offensive to say that was delicious but I'm absolutely stuffed or um that was delicious but it would be a waste for me to eat anymore because I'm too full that's polite I don't I I don't know if I'd think of anything other than that that's generally what I do say yeah (laughs) no that 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 is that is it and I think it's just the awareness of why you're feeling guilty about leaving it yeah agreed agreed Uh, go for it um so this is a client we're only a few weeks into working with each other why does it feel like I'm not doing anything yet I'm used to diets and seeing the scales move, but I'm not seeing that. And maybe that's why I'm not up and running with the ETPHD method yet. Even just trying to eat without distractions once a day is something I'm struggling with. Well, no, you've, you've completely answered your own question. And I think that's fantastic. You're so used to seeing this quantity of stuff, but you can't quantify health. You can't quantify your relationship with food. It's not a tick box. So it can feel really frustrating when it's not, oh, yeah, okay, tick this one off today, which is why we have such a focus on habits so that you do still get that quantitative tick off at the end of the day of like, okay, I've done all my habits. Yes, I'm seeing progression. When we're looking at progression, we want to look at process-based goals, not outcome-based goals. Process-based goals are in dieting, maybe it would be tracking, going to the gym, doing your steps. In your relationship with food, it might be eating three protein meals a day, um having a mindful meal a day practicing daily gratitude whatever it is those are your your process-based goals those focusing on that gives you better outcomes we know this from any sort of research we know that focusing on process-based goals leads to better outcomes which is why we have such a focus on them because the ATPHD method is the method that you use last it's the method that means that you don't have to come back and do like another diet or anything else again because you know how to manage it all not to say that you won't ever want to diet again you absolutely can of course diet disclaimer um so that's one reason the mindful meal part is is interesting because why are you not doing it like what is your reason did she say that she's not doing it is that what she said struggling with it yeah everyone struggles with it and this is this is this is where the progress happens right what's what's your struggle with it why are you reluctant to do it what is so uncomfortable 
about taking your time and eating without distraction because there's something there and it's great that you've recognized it and this is this is what this journey is about is going oh that shouldn't be that difficult why is that so difficult for me sometimes it's because actually we were uncomfortable with silence sometimes it's because we feel like we should always be doing something and eating to us is not something that we feel like we should make time for some of it sometimes it's because we tell ourselves we're too busy and we don't have time but getting curious about that it's important for you then to realize how to then make that a priority and how to make sure that you can do that and understanding the reason for that is like do you understand why mindfulness is so important with your relationship with food do you understand that it's associated with things like reduced disordered eating reduced binge eating improved overall being um improved fat loss do you understand what mindfulness and mindful eating actually is doing and then that's obviously what the question the, the podcast questions and stuff are for too right so you can ask these types of things and you can ask Anna obviously and you can look at our instagrams and all the stuff understanding the importance of these things is harder because you understand the importance of calories right when it comes to a deficit if you don't eat a calorie deficit you're not going to lose fat you understand that that's quite straightforward with mindfulness and other things maybe it's it, because it's a new thing you're learning a new thing and so spend some time actually looking at that side of things too. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's another like, this is normal. You're not on your own type question, isn't it? Like, I think I have that conversation with most clients when they first start up in that, yes, the distraction-free meal is a struggle because it's something that you're not used to doing. Like, like you listed lots of reasons why, and it is pulling yourself out of autopilot and sitting with and exploring the feelings that why you are struggling with it but it's a new habit as well and new habits do take time to cement ingrain whatever the word is solidify yeah yeah let's go with that all those words I think we're right yeah agreed agreed um okay I'm gonna finish on one actually no because it's too far down not we're good we're good Thanks for all of your questions. Keep them coming in. Thanks, Anna. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.